Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 15 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Bomani. I'm here with a special guest. He's known as Hoop Intellect, otherwise known as Keandre, his government name, obviously. Uh, he's been creating YouTube content for the past, I don't know how many long, but I just found him the past year. He's got over 19K subscribers, nearing into 20K, and he creates content about NBA draft prospects, film study, in-depth analysis of these prospects, and we have a draft that's coming up eventually in June and July. A college basketball season just ended, and he's really been keeping up with the status quo of things. And he's the type of individual I feel like he really belongs on a legit sports media conglomerate doing his job for paid money. And I'm going to let Keandre do the honors talking about his content and just tell the audience your name again and talk about what made you go into YouTube and really find a niche that you've been comfortable in for the past plethora of years. Yeah, so um, I'm Keandre, run a YouTube channel called Hoop Intellect. Uh, basically, I think I started probably late. I, past years has messed my timeline up, but uh, probably somewhere 2019, uh, 2018, somewhere in there. Uh, basically doing highlights, um, just trying to figure out how to learn how to edit and, you know, get my ideas out in video form. I used to write a lot on Medium before that, but um, yeah, that's basically how it started. And then last year, like you mentioned, I started doing NBA draft stuff in video form and those really took off. And that's where a lot of people, you know, found me from. Uh, but again, I used to do those type of things over medium as well and yeah just basically since then been trying to make my content as good as possible uh i really appreciate the things you said about uh you know my abilities and everything like that and my content are you know that's that's what i do it for but yeah that's pretty much what i do on youtube so with that you also create content of you playing basketball you've kind of gotten back to that you've elaborated to your fan base is something that you want to include within your youtube channel as well how does your experience and ability of playing a game help within kind of analyzing people's own abilities in terms of getting the requisite intel from your game that you feel like other guys have within theirs that you feel like they need to excel on or have within themselves to be the best that they can be at the pro level yeah so Initially, when I started Hoop Intellect, it was supposed to be some sort of mixture of analysis and then mix in some on-court stuff, uh, whether that was tutorials, you know, other entertaining games, you know, 21, whatever it is, with maybe other players or other people in the community. That was type, sort of the vision that I had. Now, that kind of went awry when COVID happened and everything. Didn't really have all the resources at the time either. So, you know, I just kind of hunkered down, uh, tried to get as good as possible at breaking stuff down over video and everything like that, scouting. Um, but yeah, so I think it's a, a big piece of what I do. Being able to replicate things and move on the court in a certain way, I think it is only advantageous to you when you're giving your analysis. Now that doesn't exactly mean that you're going to be the best analyst or you know 
make the best breakdowns because of what you do on the court, as we, you know, we've seen by some talking heads and everything. But uh, I think it can only help how you look at the game. You know, just that perspective is only beneficial. So that's that's what I choose to do. Um, it only be sprinkled in on the channel, depending on how big it gets or whatever. But yeah, that's just something that allows me more creative um, expression, you know, on the platform more than anything. But yeah. And so you analyze probably around over hundreds of prospects coming into the draft, really going on year two now. Just talk about the grind and the amount of time and energy it takes to kind of scour over individuals, not just the individuals that we know, like as a casual viewer, like we know the, uh, you know, the Suggs and the Greens and whatnot, but to go into that international aspect or look at individuals that are in obviously Division One basketball, but lower tier conferences, talk about that grind and how much uh, insight and intel you have to gather to kind of create the best draft prospect grade or Prop, proposition that these individuals can have at the next level yeah I basically just try to keep up with things as much as possible you know other people in the community definitely help me out uh you know tipping me to certain players things like that because it's a lot to keep up with you really can't as one singular person just know everything just right off the bat um it definitely helps to have followed a lot of these guys prior to going into college or prior to going into the G League and everything. So you have a bit of a prerequisite of what's coming or what they need to work on and everything like that. Um, but yeah, it is it is a tough thing to do. You know, you got to keep up with, you know, how's this conference playing this year? You know, uh, who's hurt? Coaching changes. Um, just try to keep up with as much as possible. And then once the season ends, I go back in, uh, you know, look at everybody a lot closer than you even have the possible time to during the season you know I like to watch the NBA more than anything so I'm always keeping up with that as well and yeah so it can be a really tough job um, during while it's going on last but not least before we segue into the topics you had the opportunity to be able to hoop with another YouTube channel that we both know house and I saw the content and whatnot and your ability to be able to play basketball at a pretty nice level with you and your younger brother in that environment. Talk about being able to hoop with some YouTube content creators that you've talked about using as uh, templates of, for your success and guys that you kind of look up towards in terms of what they've been able to accomplish as a brand when they were kick genius and now what they are right now in terms of being house on the YouTube platform. Yeah, man. Uh, I appreciate this question. I like this type of question, but you know, getting the invite to go do that, that was that was a really dope experience. Uh, as you said, somebody I've looked up to for a, a long time. I've made countless YouTube channels prior to this, you know, when I was just like a 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid or whatever, just watching their stuff um, about shoes, basketball, you know, everything in between. So they kind of sparked making, being like creative in that way. Um, but yeah, you know, going down there playing basketball, I'm still a bit rusty right now. So, cause I've been pretty much sitting down the whole last year, but you know, I, I did, I did my thing for the most part and, you know, my brother showed out, um, 
But yeah, everybody was really cool from Trey, Dre, Jeremy to, you know, the new guys, Jalen and Rye, to Clay, you know, everybody there, Nick, everybody there was really cool. We had conversations. It was like we were already like friends and everything. And then everybody else I met there who was playing, it was just a really dope experience. And I hope to be able to do more of this type of stuff in the future, just um, on-course stuff. Just being able to grow the game, entertain through basketball is just a thing that I really enjoy doing. I could tell um seemed like you enjoyed yourself in that environment and it showcases well in your play once everything kind of calmed down and you were able to play how you probably wanted to play. You know, I had a yeah. pretty good jump shot on you. And I was like, man, you, know, you got a little shot. So that was great. So going to topic number one, March Madness is officially over Baylor. Uh, dominated from start to finish to get their first championship in school history. So with that smoke fully cleared and those draft prospects kind of, in essence, talking about if they're going to stay or who they're going to go, which individuals that have declared you felt like made the most noise to kind of elevate their draft stock as we go into the combine and whatnot in the next couple of months. So speaking of Baylor, the first one that comes to mind is definitely Davion Mitchell. Prior to this year, Davion Mitchell was a solid college basketball player. He was really, he's always been a really good defender, ridiculous athlete uh, dating back to high school, but he really put it all together this year. Um, and so did his team and they ended up winning the national championship. But, you know, when you look at what he can do defensively, uh, what he did as a shooter and a scorer, uh, most importantly, has really elevated his stock into places that I never saw coming. So I don't really keep up with a lot of what the consensus says. I think groupthink kind of can skew how you feel about certain players uh, a lot of the time. But I have seen that, you know, he's risen up, you know, like ESPN, I think, had him at number eight, like right after the the tournament. So um, I think that's probably a bit too high. But anywhere from that, you know, late lottery 14 to 20 range, I think that's a really – good place for him you know given that he is 22 he will be 23 by the start of next season um he is only about 6'1 there are certain limitations to his game but it'd be impossible for somebody to watch him play and say he's not a first round pick or there's 20 guys better than him I just don't think that's true Uh, I think he's been kind of become polarizing some people think that he's a mid second round pick some people think he's top five um I've had him, if you've watched my videos, I've had him pretty much in the first round in the big boards for the last about three months. So, yeah, that's the first guy that comes to mind. We're talking about stock risers. Yeah, you know, I'm not like you when it comes to analyzing these guys from throughout the season. But when I did see him play in March Madness, which is what a lot of basketball fans kind of get to see these college prospects on a big stage because March Madness is such nationally televised and whatnot. You remind me a lot of Marcus Smart with a better jump shot and seeing that Marcus Smart's ability to play in the NBA where he got drafted when he came out of Oklahoma State and his ability to play at a high level in terms of being an on-ball defender. He improved his jump shot over time and it showed an underrated ability to maybe run an offense as the primary ball handler. Then that's something Davion can bring to the table immediately. And you did bring in an age dynamic. That's always a big thing in the NBA because the older you are, a lot of people feel the lower your ceiling gets and your upside's kind of not there. But two things that the NBA preaches, even in this modern 
up and down pace and space type of play, being as great of an on-ball defender as you can be, and also having the ability to hit the jump shot at a consistent rate, especially from beyond the arc. Yeah, for sure. I think you touched on something I forgot. You know, his ability to pass and make plays for others vastly improved this year. Um, you know, he took a lot of pressure off of Jared Butler, and their team was humming all year, you know, one through five. Everybody was coming in. Um, every, everybody had the continuity, and he was a big part of, you know, keeping them solid, you know. He made – he has some – moments where he gets out of control and everything still uh, needs to improve as a finisher a bit. But overall, I really do like him as a player. Um, somewhere in that Marcus Smart, he reminds me a lot of Donovan Mitchell in the way that he moves and the way that he plays sometimes. But I, that's kind of a lofty comparison, you know, all-star. But, you know, he, he is a really talented player as well as his teammate, whose name is Jared Butler. He played particularly well as well at that league guard spot for Butler. I'm uh, well, not Butler, but <laughs> Baylor. Um, his ability to play at a high level in March Madness was something that was highlighted as well. Coming into the tournament, he was the consensus All-American, and he played particularly well in terms of being consistent and steady and whatnot. Do you think he has well improved his draft stock, and what do you see him probably fitting within the pro game as he gets into the league and starts to make a name for himself? at the pro level in the NBA. Yeah. Jerry Butler was a guy that I had in my top 40 last year, but he decided to return for another season. And I think everybody who watched college basketball had their eyes on him, thought it was going to be a big season. And he, he performed, he had a pretty slow start um, to start the tournament, but he bounced back in a big way in those last two games, uh, made some big shots uh, especially in the first half against Houston and then obviously in the national championship game. But yeah, he's, he's somebody I think that similarly to like a Desmond Bain, he's doesn't have a whole lot of extras. Like he's going to get straight to it. He makes shots, he defends, he makes the right play. Um, somebody who I think can plug and play on a lot of different teams. And, you know, in the mid to late first round, that's where I think Jerry Butler has a sweet spot. Here I go again with another NBA comp, but when I saw him play, uh, he reminded me a lot of Malcolm Brogdon. It's kind of slow and steady, but knew where to go in terms of knowing his spots, knowing when to pick and choose where to go offensively, can hit the three-point shot consistently, and defensively a pretty solid on-ball defender. It's pretty clear that Baylor's coaching staff and their team as a whole preach defense in terms of their ability to be aggressive and uh, showcase continuity on the perimeter. And then they had the athletic bigs protecting the rim um, as the last line of defense. And so if he's able to kind of do that at the next level, it's pretty solid. Um, I did see a funny little take I saw on Instagram. Shea Gilders Alexander was like, he'd be perfect on the Thunder. I don't know if the Thunder kind of need that right now, but it, it it's always a good thing to see a pro who's in the game feel like you'd be a great asset to their team because that's their way of saying they recognize the pro abilities that you have within your skill set and that you would translate pretty well at the NBA level. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, he's got a really intriguing handle, um, has an ability to shake people on the perimeter, create shots for himself. I think he's just a really solid player. It's not a whole lot that 
really going to jump off the screen with him. But if you've seen his body of work over these last two years, you know that he is somebody who can play and contribute at the next level. Now, one more individual I kind of want to talk about with you in terms of guys that elevate your stock during the tourney. Johnny Zhuzang was a revelation. When UCLA came into the tournament, they were a first four team, probably on a lot of people's brackets. Maybe individuals thought, yeah, they could probably be Michigan State. No one expected him to make that run in the Final Four, and he was a huge offensive cog because of that. Did not know he used to be a Kentucky alum, transferred to UCLA, and he played a huge part in the tournament as well. There's been a lot of individuals who, in essence, lived in the moment, saw his performance during that run, and automatically thought he should declare, which he did, and he's probably going to go top 20. You, on the other hand, kind of looked at it for what it was and didn't rank him that high. Put him kind of in the back tier second round area, if I remember what do you see in this game that you think can translate to the next level? But what makes you a bit hesitant to just elevate his stock just off of his great postseason run? Yeah, I I was a big fan of what Johnny Juzang was able to do in the tournament. Um, he was a highly ranked recruit uh, coming out of high school. Went to Kentucky, things didn't work out. Played behind a couple of guys, transferred over to UCLA. Had a really solid season before the tournament. I mean, nobody was really talking about him for whatever I think it's because the games are late but nobody talks about the Pac-12 until tournament time um but that's besides the point Juzang's ability to shoot especially off movement and off the dribble create his own shots it's really you know really really good I'm trying to find the adjective I don't want to be you know too hyperbolic with him but what he did in the tournament is definitely worthy of NBA consideration. Now, he still has his limitations defensively, still has a bit of work to do physically. Um, you know, when you're talking about a guy who's a, really a pure two guard, he's not exactly big enough to play, you know, as a pure wing. And he can make plays for others, but it's not really his, that's not his forte. You know, there's still some room for him to grow there. He reminds me, this like whole situation, though on a bigger scale, it reminds me of Landry Shamit a few years ago uh, when he showed out against Kentucky, uh, gave it to, you know, Bam Adebayo, Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox, all lottery picks, came back another year, worked on his body, worked on his ability to make plays, you know, playing off the ball. Next year, first round pick. Um, I think it might be a little bit too early to talk a first round for Johnny Juzang, but you're talking about, you know, early second, if he does decide to declare to declare, I don't have a problem with it. I think he's got loads of potential and, you know, whatever decision he ends up making, I think he ends up becoming an NBA contributor. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I got on Johnny Juzang. And as you said that, I think recently, maybe yesterday he did declare the draft so it'll be interesting did to he, see did he yeah, uh sign an agent agent i don't know if he signed an agent but he did say he declared so it'll be interesting to see if as i'll do further research after the fact if he did sign an agent how we'll be able to translate but yeah like like you said a lot of people don't aren't really able to watch the pack tour because they come on so late and so mm-hmm. everybody knew of what i knew of you know Mobley from ucla i mean usc everybody knows who he is and so we talk about them, but Juzang's ability in the tournament to just be crafty enough to create off the dribble and be able to shoot the jump shot as well. Just always felt like he was a step ahead offensively in terms of the defensive, you know, 
counter turfs that the opposition were able to put against them. And so it's always effective to be able to create your own shot at the college level. It's usually a transferable skill at the pro level. The defensive deficiencies, though, are something that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, can he be able to showcase a level of activity at the next level? Great teams are always able to find ways to play team defense, hide a weak link. But that is something that you're going to have to be able to bring from a consistent level in the NBA. Yeah, for sure. I really liked how he played through his injuries. You know, he was really struggling there. I didn't know if he was going to be able to, you know, pull it out. But he was able to play through them and play really well, um, even through the injuries. So that's a, you know, big thing I know teams are looking at. Um, if he's able to withstand, you know, his mental toughness, That's those were really, you know, good qualities for a prospect that he showed. So moving on to the international prospects that you probably have high on your board, we don't have a Luka Doncic in this draft that, you know, coming into this process, everybody's talking about he's a top five talent, but I have heard of a Josh Giddy. Um, you've touched based on him a little bit. Outside of him, if you want to pontificate on him, you sure can. Which international prospect you feel like can make waves in the NBA so far in today's game? Pokashevsky, who you were very high on. I remember that. You were really high on him last year in terms of comparing his upside to Giannis. Not in terms of what he'll be as, as a player, but that's how high his upside could be if he grows into his body with the skill sets that he currently has. Which individual do you probably have on your board as of today that could probably do damage coming out of the international stage within the NBA in year one? Um. If we're talking immediate impact or, you know, early impact, I think that guy is pretty easily Uzman Garuba. Um, he's played Real Madrid these last couple of years, highest, second highest league um, in the world. And defensively, it you really don't see a lot of big prospects, 6'9", 6'10", who can do what he can. You know, he can guard on the perimeter, block shots, a lot of energy, rebounds, plays really hard, runs the floor. Um, while he's still super raw offensively and, you know, there's a lot that he has to work on in terms of, you know, reads for him to make, especially on short rolls and everything like that. What he can bring defensively, you plug him in on a team like Charlotte immediately. I think he helps raise their floor. Uh, just, you know, that's an area that they really need at the five spot. And he, I think he could really make an immediate impact. Now he shot the ball a lot better lately. Uh, especially from three. So that's really encouraging, you know, when we're talking about his ceiling. But if we're talking about Im Im immediate impact, I think he's the guy. You've got other guys like Alperin Singun, who's really showed out. He's pretty much an automatic 20 and 10 over there. Uh, Josh Giddy, like you had mentioned, really putting it together. I still, you know, there's still a lot he needs to, I think he needs to work on as a score, you know, playing in the pick and roll as a, as a scorer. But you look at, he's 6'8", one of the best playmakers in the class. That's not even a conversation. Um, and in the NBL, which is proven to be, you know, a solid pipeline for NBA prospects, as we saw with LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton uh, over these last couple of years. So, yeah, those are some of the main ones. Roko Prakachin as well. I think he's really interesting as a athletic wing who can do a lot of things, still really raw. But, yeah, those are the main international prospects I think are in this class. 
just getting on the international game in the past, and maybe you have some individuals that kind of view in that lens currently, has always been the speed and can those individuals be able to translate, uh, although they're fundamentally sound, can they translate to the speed and athleticism of the American game today? Uh, how do you think the international game over time has modified itself to kind of be a level of play where uh, it's got similar s- similarities to the NBA game and these individuals are able to come over and kind of play at not only their own place, but even elevate themselves in counteraction to the athletic and physical pace of the NBA. Yeah. I mean, we just look at the, you know, macro overall spectrum of how basketball has grown, even in just like the last 10 years, you know, got guys like Jokic, Giannis, like players that you would never really think about in terms of like how we used to think about basketball in terms of like archetypes, like what can you do on the floor is Luca, you know, a lot of really unique players. I think depending on the league, because there's a lot of different leagues, a lot of different varying levels, play styles, some are more physical, you know, some are a little bit softer, some are different in the way they count stats, you know. Uh, But overall, I think the just overall growth of the game has, I wouldn't say leveled the playing field because America is still far and away the best basketball country. Um, and the NBA is far and away the best basketball league. But when we're looking at like sort of individual players and projecting them towards uh, the NBA, it's become a lot, I think it's become a lot easier than it used to be in the past. Um, and, you know, certain, certain leagues over there are more physical than even the NBA, like uh, until playoff time. But, you know, that that is something that they've really improved over, over time. And piggybacking off of that, we've seen American high schoolers go the international route. Most recently, LaMelo Ball did it, and he wound up going top three when he went to the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, when he went there, his numbers weren't the greatest in terms of efficiency, but how important do you think for him and future guys who want to consider international route was it to just play on a pro team, learn a pro system, play within a pro field, and archetype within a game setting in terms of allowing yourself to get acclimated to that level of basketball. So it's an easier transition when they come back, you know, to their home country and play at the NBA level. Yeah. I think for him and RJ Hampton as well, adjusting to the speed and physicality were big things for both of them. LaMelo's game has been predicated on skill. You can't really deny the skill level that he's shown over these last, you know, five years or whatever it's been. Uh, But, you know, just playing in in that pro system, having veterans like Aaron Brooks there to help him through his mistakes, you know, what he's seeing on the floor and everything like that. And then, you know, just going into the lane, getting hit a couple of times, like how fast the game is going, especially for him defensively. I think those were big things that, you know, eventually translated into the NBA once he started playing this year. So the two highest individuals you had on your board or Alperin Sigun and Josh Giddy, you touched based on them as well. Uh, what makes them so high your board more currently? We've talked about how Giddy has some things he needs to work on as well, but what, what makes them so high on your board currently and what can you see 
them do to improve their stock as we near the combine and that draft process and what teams would be the ideal fits for them at the NBA level? Yeah, so I guess we'll just start with Josh Giddy. I was really, once he started playing, was really high on him, near lottery area for me on my board. You know, he took a couple steps back there for a minute, couldn't hit shots, looked really timid in the pick and roll. If he wasn't passing it, there wasn't really anything happening for their offense. Um, then over these last probably month and a half or whatever, he's really turned it up, been more aggressive, which is key for somebody whose first and primary skill is getting others the basketball. You've got to be able to put pressure on the defense as an individual first. Um, but yeah, for him as a, as a prospect, you know, six, eight, been able to shoot it a little bit, um, solid athlete, solid on defense. You know, there's still a lot of things that I think will be a learning curve for him at the next level. Um, but what he has shown warrant, you know, definite top 20, wouldn't be surprised if he's near the lottery when, you know, things are said and done, but yeah, that's pretty much you know, the book on Josh Giddy at the moment. I think what scouts are going to look at from now to July 29th, I think, is when the draft is, or how they both, Singoon and Giddy, finish their seasons. You know, there's still quite a bit for them to play. Singoon just had like 31 and 12 the other day. Uh, they pretty much have a read on them as prospects, but just, you know, getting into that high-level competition, how do they perform, Um you know, do they have a bad first quarter and bounce back? Like, what's going on in the fourth? Are they getting benched? You know, just little things like that um, I think they're going to look at. But with Sangoon, he's like – he's about 6'9", six, 6'10", six, really skilled score um, at the four or the five spot. I think there are a few, you know, valid criticisms of him. You know, he's not the best rim protector. Defense is solid because he's a – pretty good lateral mover. I think he at some point should be a solid defender in the pick and roll, but you know, there aren't a whole bunch of four men in the league outside of maybe like Sabonis, but that's because he plays with Miles Turner who really play back to the basket or are dominant low post scorers. And that's what he does first and foremost. Um, he's not a really explosive athlete you know, in the paint, in traffic. So I think there's a few things there, but overall, I think you just look at his skill level, ability to pass. He's had some behind the back passes, really good processing speed. He's only 18 years old. So a lot of the stuff that I'm saying is a little bit nitpicking, but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much with those two. As for fit with NBA teams, I haven't spent too much time thinking about, you know, where each player could end up, you know, at, at their point of the draft. Um, so, yeah, I don't really have much, much there yet. So as we segue to sleepers that are in your draft process, which individuals that probably aren't being talked about so far in terms of top 10-ish range or just in the draft period, you feel like could do a lot of good for themselves during the combine, elevate themselves up, on the boards or, you know, as the draft goes on and they select somebody, they make major moves at the pro level to where individuals are kind of like, why weren't they really 
lauded as a premier prospect during the NBA draft process? So the first guy that comes to mind here is probably Josh Christopher. And I only say this because I, I happen to see ESPN ranked him at number 37. He's a highly touted prospect. So a lot of people already have known and heard his name. So to some people, he seems like somebody who should be in that, you know, top 20 conversation for sure. But seen a lot of others concerned with, you know, his ability to shoot, which while it was, you know, kind of a rough start to his college basketball career, he really started to turn it on um, until he got hurt and was out for the rest of the year. Um, but also people have started to label him as like a scoring guard. But I think his game is a little bit more complete than people have given him credit. You know, he's really physical and athletic guard can play a lot better defense than he's been given credit. Uh, you go look at some of his high school games. It was evident chase down blocks, help side blocks, uh, individual defense. He showed some things as a playmaker this year that I think were really encouraging. So overall, I think his game is a little bit more complete than he's been given credit. Uh, so he would be the first one that I think of in terms of, I guess, sleepers, but you know, people know of him a lot, so it's not really a true sleeper. And the next one would be Kessler Edwards from Pepperdine. Uh, Pepperdine definitely is not getting the coverage uh, playing as, you know, Gonzaga's, you know, who's, who's going to be able to compete with Gonzaga? That's pretty much their role in their conference. Um, but Kessler Edwards did a really good job this season, developed into a really solid player. He's about 6'8", 6'9", guard multiple positions, stretch the floor, um, score it inside, really solid athlete as well. I think he's someone who can you can plug and play on a lot of teams. Teams love that three to four man, maybe even five in some situations, who can guard multiple positions and stretch the floor. Uh, you look at what Brandon Clark, though before they changed his jump shot, I really like what he could do. Um, I think Kessler Edwards is a guy who could, you know, end up on Memphis at the late first round, early second. Some teams like that really love those type of players. Yeah, and those two individuals you just talked about, remember them in a video you had in your complete mock board after March Madness. I'm going to touch base on Christopher first, who was in a really unique spot at Arizona State because they had tons of guards. Um, uh, their premier guard was Remy. He came back. He was obviously the lead guy. They had uh, Marvin Bagley's brother. He was there as well. And it kind of felt like Christopher kind of had to get it where he could fit in. And that probably acquiesced him being a spot-up shooter, which is why he probably struggled because he's not used to that role coming out of high school. He was the primary ball handler, the decision maker and whatnot. And so uh, as that process goes, do you think that's something that scouts would honestly consider and probably utilize that situation and also the growth that he showed towards the end of the year as he got adjusted to that role as the ultimate benefit of the doubt and something that they could add within their team as an individual that could play at his strengths and be productive at the pro level. Yeah, that Arizona State team, they had a solid start, but it was just a weird season for them. Injuries-wise, you know, had some issues with COVID. Um, and then, like you said, you know, the whole depth chart thing, Remy Martin looking to score every time. So, you know, trying to adjust to playing with that type of a, 
a dominant guard is, you know, it is an adjustment period there. And he's also a freshman, so he's adjusting to the college game. I think those are things the scouts will take into consideration. You think about, like, what if he would have went to Michigan? Or what if he would have went, you know, to the Ignite, played alongside those guys? You know, certain maybe things turn out different in terms of his, you know, draft stock. But I think once scouts are able to and teams are able to see him in the pre-draft process, get to know him personally, uh, see him in the workout uh, environment, then, you know, they'll have a full grasp on where he should end up. As for Kessler, the Clark comp is a solid one. I'm not going to act like I've ever seen Kessler play, but once you introduce <laughs> me to him, and his capabilities being able to defend three through five, shoot the basketball, space the floor as a four-man. It is very important within a game setting. Um, that is something that Memphis likes. Um, Jaron Jackson is a guy that does the same thing. He just came back recently and played against the Clippers. And Brandon Clark gives that to them as well. Um, they obviously did change his jump shot, but that Swiss Army Knight type ability, how important is it for the four spot in particular to kind of be a spot where – being able to guard multiple positions laterally and inside, as well as being able to stress the floor, is something that future four men coming into the league are going to have to be able to present to themselves to stay on the floor and maybe even have a career as the game changes into an up and down pace and space type of atmosphere. Yeah, the four spot has really changed a lot, you know, over these last 10 years. Look at what the Miami Heat did and then going to the Warriors era. You got guys like Chris Bosh, who was a power forward coming in, power forward all the way, never playing center. Then their championship runs, those crunch time moments, he's at the five. Draymond Green, who might, he's probably like 6'6". Six, six, maybe, I've heard that he's actually 6'5 in real life, playing in the center spot. So, and then you've got Iguodala or KD at the four. So the game has pretty much changed. That four spot is a lot different. You still need a big especially with guys like Jokic and Embiid in there at the five. But that four has become this sort of do-it-all spot. You know, if you're not stretching the floor necessarily, you have to be able to do multiple things well. And it may not mean that you have to be a starter because maybe you're, you've got an Indiana situation with Sabonis and Turner. But somebody to come in uh, – like they used to have Thad Young, um, you know, just shake things up. And that's what I think a guy like Kessler Edwards could be. Um, there's a few other people in the draft. Um, my mind is kind of blanking, but in that in that area that I think will make an impact in the league. Now, before we get to the guys that, you know, making it happen at the pro level, let's go to the top tier guys that we both all know. Um, and I kind of want to talk about the top five guys. And then as I'm talking about that, kind of want to focus on a few teams that are for sure probably going to be picking in that spot. So Minnesota is probably going to get the number one pick again. And obviously, Kay Cunningham is the consensus number one pick, but it would probably behoove them to maybe stray away from getting another guard since Delos kind of come back into the fold since being injured. He's played relatively well. It's been hit or miss when it comes to winning games, but he's played particularly well. And they're showing some cohesion with him and Anthony Edwards. Do you see a team like Minnesota maybe going for Evan Mobley, probably as being an individual that they put in their front court 
because I heard you talk about Mobley today and how you do wonder if he can be a five man because of his inability to uh, probably put up with the strength and whatnot of Jokic and Embiid. But if he goes to a team like that and he's able to be the four while cast the five, he can flourish in terms of being able to use his lateral quickness and whatnot defensively. So that dynamic when it comes to consistent top pick, but a team like a Minnesota, if they're picking number one again, would it probably make sense for them to maybe go the Mobley route and fortify their front court than to invest in another guard and stack that backcourt roster spot up even more? Yeah, I think it's a interesting situation for them. You know, you do have Cat at the five. I think Mobley is going to have a physical transformation over these next like two, three years or so. Um, probably doesn't have the frame to do what Anthony Davis did or Embiid, you know, when they came into the league. But I think at, at his best, he can be a five. But, you know, early on, it's going to be tough. And that was something that he struggled with in college basketball this season, you know, playing with those back-to-the-basket guys, really physical. While length is the great equalizer, it it definitely was a struggle for him. And a lot of the times he would have his brother, who is shorter and a little bit not as long, but just stronger, um, have to deal with some of those bigs. But for Minnesota, I think ultimately I would end up picking Cade Cunningham, even with guys like D'Angelo and Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. I think Cade's ability to set the table for others could be really interesting, especially given that he is 6'8", 6'7", and can guard multiple positions. Um, I think if you slide him in at that three spot, you've got guys like – Jared Vanderbilt, definitely Jaden McDaniels, others who you can, you know, play around with. You want to put a more of a small forward type, Swiss Army knife at the four, cat at the five, or bring somebody else in like they had Gorgie Zhang, you know, manning that type of stuff, just depending on what cat feels like doing. Uh, But yeah, I think Cade in Minnesota would probably be what I would do. It would be, I would definitely consider Mobley, but Cade ultimately his ability to set the table for others and, you know, be able to play off the ball, his spot up shots. I think that, you know, that would end up working out really well for them. Yeah. Um, man, convince me probably. Oh uh, yeah. He's <laughs> six, eight stature plays a huge part. He could slide in at the wing and with Cunningham, your breakdown of him, uh, his ability to defend, I think is something that's probably underrated. When you look at him as a player, cerebral, um, moves at his own tempo offensively. So he does give you a reminders of a Luka Doncic type player offensively. But unlike Luka, there's no defensive limitations. Like when he's locked in, he's a very, very capable on-ball defender. He's a very great team help defender in terms of being able to rotate and cover people's lapses as well. And that's an individual you can move into at the wing spot. And he could play particularly well. So with him, he could play the one, the two, or the three. How beneficial is that for any team in the league to have a guy that can slide in and play all three of those perimeter wing positions and be effective in every role as a scorer, as a facilitator, or as a 3 and D guy as well? Yeah, it's huge. That's what I think separates him from some of the other guys. He's already physically built. He may not be the most athletic, but at 6'8", about 220-ish, he's already an NBA-level wing physically. Um, 
that's what I think is going to be really interesting depending on who gets the top pick. Kate is someone I think you can throw in in a number of different roles, whereas, you know, a guy like Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs, you know, there's a lot of really good guards, especially ones who are um, scorers in Jalen Green's case. Uh, that could make you want to go in a different direction. But with Cade, I think, like, we, like we're mentioning, you know, his ability to do multiple things on the court at a high level and, you know, be a guy who is going to impact the game even when he's not scoring the ball is something that I think a lot of teams will like and probably ultimately make him the number one pick. And then let's go to the Jalen's Green and Suggs. Um, I'm going to talk about Green first. I would say this. His shot form is a little bit funky. I do wonder, is that going to be an issue at the next level? May not. I mean, because he's been able to shoot it pretty well um, within the G League atmosphere he's in. He's pretty dynamic at high school as well. The comp with him has been a Zach Levine. Has an ability to be a high-level scorer from a ceiling perspective. And his athleticism is very nuclear. Like, he he can go. He can fly. Um, defensive capabilities are there as well from his wingspan and whatnot. With Green, is there going to be – is he going to be an individual coming in where he can play off the ball particularly well until everything kind of forms around him into where it's probably his team as he grows into the, you know, aspects of the league? Or is he going to be a guy coming in uh, – from a ball down to perspective, he's probably going to need it to probably fulfill his fullest potential early on in his career. Yeah, I think at least early on in terms of his effectiveness, based on what we saw in the G League, he's going to need the ball. His best moments, he had the ball. His entire high school career had the ball every every moment of the game. He's made a lot of improvements as a playmaker, which is huge. So, you know, giving him the ball, giving him those opportunities, um, you're not as worried about, but at the same time, off the ball, you know, coming off the screens, uh, shooting spot ups, he's still a little bit inconsistent as a shooter. Uh, I think those are things that he's probably really working on and attacking right now. Um, I'm sure there's people in his corner who told him these type of things, but yeah, those are those are areas that I think are some of his deficiencies and. To maximize him particularly, he probably need the ball early on in his career. But, you know, that's it's not to say that because there's so many good guards in the league right now. You're not just unless you're Luca, you're not really stepping in as the guy from the jump. So. Jalen Suggs, he's been an individual. Another guy we could have mentioned. First topic, March Madness, not even March Madness, the whole season. Did him wonders when it came to the biggest comp, even in the loss against Baylor, he showed up and he played hard and he played well. Your analysis of him on your draft board situation was unique. He's a guy that's an underrated playmaker. Um, jump shot is improving, but it's not there fully. Um, but he's 6'3, 6'4-ish. And as athletic as he is, he is kind of undersized. Um, a lot of people have compared him to Russell Westbrook in terms of kind of that athletic nature and probably somebody that you could grow into a point guard way probably more advanced as a playmaker than Westbrook was coming out of UCLA. Um, he's another individual which you kind of consider probably needs the ball. And early on in his career, what will probably be his niche? Because at Gonzaga, he was kind of their best player and at times their glue guy in terms of his energy and setting the tone at the NBA level. 
can you probably see him being more of a glue early and then maybe eventually as he grows into his own game, developing it to a franchise caliber player? Yeah, that's definitely where I see him finding a role in a niche early on in his career. I think he's somebody who I don't particularly think he has the highest ceiling as some of these other guys, but his floor is about as high as anybody else's. Um, you look at what he does as a leader, you know, he always makes the, the right play. Uh, defensively, I think that's where he, you know, really should buy into early on in his career. I think he has all the tools to be, you know, one of the best guard defenders in the league, you know, at his best. Uh, shot still, you know, work in progress. But definitely, you know, you look at a guy like Suggs and you think he's somebody who can help us win. You know, regardless of the situation, he's somebody who can help us win. I'm really interested to see what team he ends up on and, you know, like how the lottery teams shake out. Because, like, if it's Minnesota – who gets the – is there – I got to ask this question. Is there t- is there pick top three protected or number one protected? It's top three. So if it's in the top okay. three area, they're good. If it's not, that goes to Golden State. So yeah. let's say Golden State's picking four. They probably might try to trade it to get a star caliber player. That, that's been kind of that narrative for a while. But let's say they keep it and they do add them to their backcourt – as an assurance policy, just in case Clay Thompson doesn't come back healthy, how could he fit in that type of environment? Yeah, I think I actually think that he could immediately start there. You look at what Steph can do off the ball. Clay's big enough to play the three, especially as the game is getting a little bit smaller. Um, he can make plays for others, can guard ones, twos, maybe even some threes. I think that would be a really good fit for him, um, especially what he brings leadership wise. It's not somebody you got to worry about getting touches or anything like that. He's definitely willing to listen to his veterans and everything like that. That would be a situation I think is perfect for Suggs. Now, there may be other situations where, like Minnesota, you got D'Angelo and Anthony Edwards. It's not really a place where you can see, and you have Ricky Rubio, like, where you can see him fitting in immediately. You don't really want to slide Anthony Edwards up to the three. And it's another person you kind of needs the ball a little bit. Uh, and there's some other teams out there who may wouldn't be the best fit for him. But, you know, overall as a player, I think he's really solid. Definitely a top four guy for me. And one guy I want to touch base on, then we'll move on to the final topic. Moses Moody. Um, he's a three, two-way wing that a lot of scouts have been enticed by. Saw him play in March Madness, and he was kind of inconsistent in that setting. And that probably has a lot to do with the style of basketball that Arkansas plays. They're really up and down. Uh, all of their guards handle the ball in a variety of spots. And so there was never really an instance where Moody was a guy that they solely went to. There would be times where, depending on the game, he may have it for like a few possessions, and then their backcourt mates may run it. Um, he's a guy that a lot of people see as a 3 and D guy, but he has showcased some ability to be creative on his own off the dribble offensively. What do you see his upside as being? And do you feel like the inconsistency that he kind of showed in the turn, is that something that 
maybe a play style thing or something scouts may look at as possibly being a narrative of him that could translate at the pro level in terms of, you know, he could be on and he could be off depending on the moment. Yeah, I think for him, you look at what that team was all season, guys like Desi Sills handling the ball all the time. There was games where he would barely touch the ball for, you know, entire halves. And then in the tournament, what I was really encouraged by, you know, on paper, it looks like he was playing horribly and he wasn't at his best at all, especially shooting. But you look at the confidence to be able to take 20 shots in a big game, especially against like Oral Roberts, a team who's really not supposed to be there, has nothing to lose. So they're going at you, you know, at every moment. Um, I really was encouraged by his ability to get open shots, take those big shots. Um, he is labeled as a three and D guy. He has a little bit more to give. I think you look at what he did um, in high school uh, before Montverde and also in the summer on in the AAU circuit. You've got a guy who has a better ability, un, a little bit unrefined ability to pass the ball um, and definitely create shots for himself. But, you know, uh, what was your first question? His level of inconsistency. You stated that it may look bad on paper, field goal percentages, that type of dynamic. He wasn't playing well, but you were encouraged by his confidence of being able to take a plethora of shots in big moments. Do you feel like the inconsistency, inconsistency aspect was just a gameplay thing in terms of Arkansas was so ball dominant within the backcourt, or that could be a reflection of who he is as a talent, where if he's involved, cool, but if he's not, eh, you don't really know level-wise from an energy perspective what he could bring consistently. You know, I like him. I'm a lot – I think I'm a lot higher on him than, you know, a lot of the consensus is. Um, he's an easy top 10 player to me. I think he's somebody who doesn't really need the ball. Three and D at his, you know, that's the core of what he can bring as a player, especially at the NBA level. It takes time to, you know, develop into a Chris Middleton. You know, Chris Middleton didn't come in the league even playing, you know, on, on Detroit. So you look at what the development path is of, you know, some of these other wings. Um, a guy like Chris Middleton and think, you know, Moses Moody can, you know, make some noise in those ways. Uh, his inconsistency, definitely part of a, a product of what Arkansas did. And so last but not least is Toy Bates on the prospects rookie wise that are playing in the league as of now. Uh, we know the top premier prospects, Halliburton, um, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, before he got hurt, they're playing well. Just talk about them and other guys that I probably haven't mentioned. They're playing well at a nice level, and it's kind of something that you expected them to do. And then you can touch base on the guys that have kind of disappointed you in terms of you had high hopes for them. And so far, it's been a struggle to get acclimated to the pro game. Yeah, so last year I had both Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball ranked as sort of 1A, 1B um, on my big boards. I thought that it would take LaMelo at least probably the first half of the season to 
you know, sort of get acclimated to the NBA game, especially defensively, because if you watch his tape from the NBL, it was just it was simply bad on defense. But he came into the league immediately solid, you know, uh, thought that was going to be a really tough area for him. That was immediately, you know, changed and fixed. So and then what he did offensively, his ability to shoot first and foremost, really changed his game and his tra- trajectory um, made defenses really key in on him and allowed his passing ability to shine, especially in the pick and roll. Um, and then in transition, you know, it's showtime for him. Um, Anthony Edwards, while he's been sort of inefficient, I think if you watched him in college, you sort of expected that, but he's only 19 or whatever. One of the most physically gifted two guards in the league right now um, as a rookie. And he's had, you know, the dunk on Watanabe, big moments, big numbers against guys like LeBron and AD. You know, uh, I think that was a, something I saw coming a little bit more. But, yeah, I think the biggest surprise out of some of those top guys for me was Tyrese Halliburton. I definitely saw him as a top, as an easy top 10 prospect last year. But this level that he's played at, you know, for most of the year, he slowed down a little bit. The Kings have really slowed down. Uh, these last, you know, 10 games or whatever. But he's been really good the whole season. Made winning plays, played crunch time minutes for them. And, you know, with a De'Aaron Fox on the team where a lot of people thought that might be a sort of a rough fit, he's stepped in seamlessly. Um, I've never been a huge fan of his shooting release, uh, just aesthetically. But I never thought that he would have to do some complete overhaul of it. He sped it up. He's been so much better off the dribble, you know, getting it off. And in college, his first two years, big windup, had to shoot it from 30 feet to even, you know, have the space. But he's been he's been really good this year and a big surprise for me. Yeah, um, with Edwards, I always thought the inefficiency would be a big issue. And it's been an issue, but not super big. Uh, like you said, he's played pretty well in big moments, and he's had moments where the athleticism is just there. And he fits well with Minnesota. I think that's ultimately the biggest thing with a shooting guard like that. You wonder, can him and D'Lo coexist? And when they have played together, they've coexisted pretty well. Defensively, he's rather underrated. But, you know, Minnesota as a collective, they're not a very good defensive team. So no one kind of pays attention to that aspect. I was really high on LaMelo Ball. He was, like, the best player, I feel like. And I never – I did feel like the situation he was in in Australia was a unique one because I looked at it as he went there knowing, look, I don't want to go to college. I just want to do my year somewhere and get in the league. He probably at probably some aspects resonated on his laurels and probably looked at it as, you know what, I know I'm a top tier talent. If I showcase my strengths more so, that would be enough. And it was. So his shooting numbers looked horrible, but I think a lot of it was shot selection, probably in a way where it's like, let me get let me get my shots off. And then defensively, he probably wasn't intertwined in that aspect because he looked at himself as, I'm the primary ball handler, the skilled offensive player. I'm going to put all my energy there. Get to the pros, a lot more locked in and a complete of a player. You see the difference. And then with Halliburton, he reminded me a lot of SGA. And he's kind of playing like SGA played early in his career. The SGA in Oklahoma City when Chris Paul was there. He can exist with another ball handler because of his ability to shoot, although his shot's a little funky. 
And then defensively, he's underrated in that aspect as well. So him and Fox formulate a pretty good perimeter defensive duo on that aspect of the floor. Yeah. Um, if we want to move on to some of the guys who have been a little underwhelming so far this year, I think the first one is probably Onyeko Kongwu and Killian Hayes, but both of them have had pretty, you know, damaging injuries. Hasn't really allowed them to get into a flow as players. They've had some good moments and things I've been encouraged by, but both of them were probably top six players for me last year. And they just haven't had the success that I thought they would, especially Killian Hayes in a situation like Detroit, obviously the injury, but, you know, being able to be one of their primary ball handlers, it just hasn't worked out so far. But we have to factor in they haven't had a real offseason, never had summer league through right into the NBA fire. So, you know, the, the book is still out to be written on both of them. But if we're just talking about who has been underwhelming this year, those are some of the two that come to mind first. Yeah, Okongu, I liked a lot coming out of USC. I thought in splitting image of Bam out of bio. But even Bam Adebayo early on in his career in Miami, it took him a bit uh, to get acclimated to the game. Difference is with Okongu, like you said, injuries. They have one game where he scored 16 points, but it's pretty clear Atlanta wants him to eventually replace John Collins. I don't think they have them on their future payroll as a prospect moving forward. And then with Hayes, he had the injury that I thought he was going to be done for the year. They brought him back probably to see what he is as a talent. And the narrative I've been getting from Detroit fans, because I followed the Pistons page, kind of upset at him because he's not an aggressive scorer. Shot's been inconsistent, but we've seen he could play make. And eventually, I think his assertion and aggression offensively will get there. He's a nice quality prospect. I do wonder the dynamic of Frank Jackson and Corey Joseph on the roster now. Is that utilized as a competitive push? Or is that kind of like an insurance policy just in case Hayes doesn't work out? Maybe they move on and they kind of go from a veteran Latin aspect there. But a guy that has blossom for them on that roster with Detroit Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bay have played very well Sadiq Bay you liked a lot when you made your board I liked a lot because he was a tweener that can shoot the basketball and tweeners they survive in this day and age in basketball because like we said pace and space up and down but you can only survive if you shoot the shot particularly well from three he has Isaiah Stewart even though he's been dunked on a lot he's active on the glass he is a rim rummer to its core. He's a walking double-double every game because of that. And Dwayne Casey likes him a lot. And he's a Dwayne Casey type of player. Lunch pill guy, goes in, works hard. He's going to do the little things to the highest of ability. And I'm kind of proud of what Detroit's building because they just got through a stage where their core was Andre Drummond, Caldwell Pope, Reggie Jackson, Stanley Johnson. Those guys did not work out under Stan Van Gundy. Got a new regime with these young players. And Dwayne Casey, while I do question again on his in-game coaching abilities, he's great at developing talent. And so they're kind of formulating a young core there. And it's looking very prosperous as of now. Yeah. Those two have been some of the more impressive and surprising rookies this year. Definitely Isaiah Stewart, you know, particularly because he doesn't have, you know, the long super long wingspan he's not super athletic uh probably only about six nine six ten somewhere in there and you know every night he becomes teams sort of worst nightmare somebody who you absolutely do not want to play against he's going to 
give you a shoulder in your chest, go for every rebound, um, energy every play, you know, things like that. Those are really important, especially in the grind of a season like this. If you have guys who can consistently bring that, you know, you're going to have some sort of competitive advantage, even if it doesn't result in wins right now. Is something that you can really build on. And then, yeah, Sadiq Bey, you know, I, you can kind of see this being his NBA role, you know, all during his season at Villanova. So, um, yeah, the Pistons have done a really good job. And it's funny because their lottery, high lottery pick isn't the one that's really been contributing in the ways that Bay and Stewart have. It is, but when you when you're a team that was Isaiah, Isaiah Stewart was a first round pick, correct? Was he? Or he was, was 16. He? Yeah. Okay. So we have three first round picks. Uh and you use them all. You basically want at least two of those three to be contributors. They are, and that's influential for them. Obviously, they're still a bad team, so they'll be back in the lottery again. But they're building something and they have a nice little core there. Um, a couple guys I do want to talk about before we can wrap this up. Um, Pokashevsky, who you're very high on in that draft process, he's had a dynamic career rise as a rookie that's was kind of expected but he's kind of putting it all together he started early and didn't start but he played early for him it was pretty clear he was still getting acclimated to the nba game they sent him to the g league he comes back and he's played pretty big minutes for him in a weird dynamic season for the thunder where i think personally they went out of their way the first 40 games to kind of see what their young core was and then after they probably saw what it was they said okay let's embrace the tank and so during the tanking process hokajeski has started and he's played pretty well. He's a knockdown shooter. He showcases his ability as a playmaker. Um, what have you seen in terms of his growth and trajectory throughout his rookie career? Uh, what do you think things he needs to add? Obviously, from the weight aspect, he has to get bigger. But skill set-wise, he can add to his game moving forward. That can make him a productive pro. Yeah, so this Thunder team has been really, really weird and really bad over these last, you know, several games once they've pretty much decided to tank the rest of the season. Um they were really competitive early on. Um, but since then, you know, Poku's gotten a lot of time and has shown a lot of the stuff, the same stuff that he did overseas. Um, defensively, I'd just say he's really bad right now. He's he'll, he'll have some moments where he gets some, you know, good help side blocks, gets into passing lanes and, you know, things like that. But we're talking about overall spectrum and especially – the Thunder as a collective team, their defense has just been horrible, even with a guy like Lou Dort on it. Um, so that's that's going to be the main area, especially physically for him. But being able to, you know, withstand everything, play in the beginning, go to the G League, even have some rough times in the G League, come back into the NBA, get a lot of minutes, get a lot of touches, and, and perform, you know, that's really encouraging for his potential future as an NBA player you know still don't really know who he is on a really good team but the fact that he is producing the fact that he is you know by all accounts learning and growing every day in the organization you know it's got to be encouraging for them it has and um like you said they're bad and you know he's not the greatest defender but the offensive playmaking ability is there the shooting ability is there those are two promising aspects. And I want to touch base on two other rookies kind of playing on bad teams themselves. We all knew who the top three prospects were. 
we can put James Watson in there because I kind of want to see your perspective on his season that came to an abrupt end. Uh, Patrick Williams and Isaac Coro came after, and they were both kind of shocks because I think a lot of people thought Denny Advi would for sure be slotting that top five selection. How have you liked their performances so far as three and D guys? We knew defensively they were going to show their ability and metal there, and they have. But Patrick Williams, what I've seen, has shown flashes of potential offensively. Ocaro has as well. Where do you see them projection-wise moving forward in their roles in the league? Yeah, I really like Patrick Williams. You know, over the draft process, he was a guy who really rose up on my board, you know, just going back through his his games and, you know, seeing that offensive potential that was there. You know, everything defensively you could just see immediately. You watched, you know, 20 minutes of a Florida State game. Patrick Williams is probably going to make a good defensive play, um, even coming off the bench. But I really like what his potential is. I think he's going to be a key contributor and starter for them for a long time going forward. Um, they're in kind of a weird spot, winning some games without Levine and everything. Levine's hurt uh, after they made that trade for Vucevic. But, you know, I think going forward, he's going to be, you know, super key for them. And then to Orcoro, you know, he started off really hot. Uh, I think he had some really big scoring games. I can't remember if those were in the preseason or if that was the regular season. Uh, I remember he made it like a game winner. I can't remember if that was in the preseason or not. That but, was in the preseason. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, Okoro started off pretty strong, you know, started to surprise some people. He's had his downs as a player. I think that's honestly expected, especially in a year like this, like we've mentioned. Everything isn't um, – as normal as you would you would want development wise, but he has, you know, figured out how to make an impact as a defensive player. Um, and athletically, he puts on a show every other night. You know, there's going to be some kind of highlight if you follow the Cavs or uh, whatever that he's going to make a play um, from that perspective. But yeah, I'm not sure if he's going to be a starter level player for them. Um, just given he's not 6'8", 6'9", big wing, you know, when you have the guys like Sexton and Garland in your backcourt, a Coral at the three, he's only about 6'5", 6'6". That's, you're, you're, you're pretty small. Um, unless you have, you know, Rudy Gobert on the back end and then somebody at the four who's really going to, um, affect the game in multiple ways, like a Draymond or somebody. But, uh, yeah, I really liked what he's done this season, too, um, even through the lows. And then one more guy I want to touch base on it. We can sure. wrap it up. James James Wiseman, season has been tough, and it came to an abrupt end when he had a, uh, really a disheartening injury. Um, I think he tore his meniscus, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a routine play. He goes to the basket, and he just falls. And that's how he tears it. It was kind of an odd sequence. But even before that, you could tell Steve Kerr was giving him that tough love. And it was expected eventually because he's a high-touted rookie coming into a team that previously won a championship as championship pedigree. Um, but it's pretty clear he has potential, but he's got to get post-game. Jump shot's got to be a little bit more consistent. And he's probably got to be a little bit more di disciplined on the defensive end when it comes to being a rim protector. Long-term with this team, do you feel like he's an ideal fit for the Warriors? And if not, 
is that going to be an indictment on his career long term or do you just feel like eventually he'll grow into his own body he'll grow into his own skill set and he'll be able to blossom as a talent now to me i always felt like wiseman was a bit more of a long-term uh prospect the talent was there but there was a lot of things especially defensively you know just overall feel and just how he moved you know catching the ball um certain things like that that i felt like he was going to have to develop over time before he could kind of put his game all together things start to slow down for him um the only reason I think that he, you know, really can't be a fit for this Warriors team, and I thought the pick was a little bit, you know, weird, especially after Clay got hurt, is because he doesn't match the timeline of the rest of the team. I think Steph is going to be able to play however long he wants, you know, injuries, injuries willing, health willing. But, you know, we don't know what Clay is going to do when he comes back. Draymond is not the same player that he used to be. He's still, I think he's still really. Uh, really solid contributor definitely more of a playoff player he's definitely going to perform in that in that uh, area but he's not it's not like he has five more really great years to give you know Um, their window is closing and I think given what what those lottery picks end up as you know Wiseman could be a piece of you know getting somebody else in there and maybe a Bradley Beal or whoever else becomes available you know, that's what I think might end up happening to Wiseman um, just because he doesn't really fit their timeline. Now, for his future perspective, I think as, as long as he ends up in an area that the team will, you know, give him that time and not make public statements like Steve Kerr did, you know, kind of tearing him down um, in certain ways, then I think he can become a really solid player. He's been a much better shooter um, than I think most people had thought. And that's a really good building block especially for someone his size he's had moments you know off the dribble and everything like that still has a lot to you know go with in shot selection and just being in the right places on the floor but you know you look at what his skill sets are as long as somebody is willing to feed into that and be patient with him I think then he can become a solid contributor if not then you know who knows what happens I agree um I was high on him coming into the league but you're right. He doesn't really fit in Golden State's timeline moving forward. I understand why they feel like they had to make the move. couple of reasons. One, best player available probably in their eyes. And then two, there was an extensive need for them at the five spot. Um, the guy that was probably going to start for them if they didn't get a replacement was going to be Kevon Looney, who's cool, but he's also undersized. So they probably wanted to stray away from small ball because, like you said, Curry's still going to be Curry, but Clay's hurt and Draymond is far beyond his time. So they probably feel like, you know, we're going to go bigger in the front court, get the traditional five, and then maybe early on he could be our JaVale McGee. Over time, you could kind of tell Wiseman's more skillful than McGee, but that may have been a detriment in terms of what they probably wanted to be as a team because it was like, we need you to play this role, and he probably doesn't fit in that peg. Like, he's, you know, a circle trying to fit in the square peg. So um, it'll be interesting to see moving forward how that dynamic works out. And you're right, um, you know, obviously they're going to be a playoff team, but they can also get a top five pick. And maybe, you know, moving forward, they probably look to pivot from him and kind of go all in to try to get that last championship with that core of Curry, Green, and Clay in the window. Yeah, for sure. You know, there was a lot of rumors and potential options for them, you know, in the draft. You know, they there was that rumor, I think, number four in Window Carter, uh, 
for number two. I think the Bulls were, you know, talking about offering. I don't think that really would have made a whole lot, a whole lot of sense either. I think they really need somebody who can step in and give them something, um, you know, as Clay has been out. Um, but you know what they do have is what they do have, and if they're not, if they're not going to be patient, which it doesn't make sense for them to be patient with Wiseman. I think it would be in their best interest and his best interest to, you know, find a potential landing spot for him. I agree. And with that, guys, this will be the end of episode 15. It was great having Keandre on, content creative who made a link on YouTube. Before you go, I'd love for you to advertise your product. Let the, let the listeners know what you bring to the table because it's probably one of the more underrated YouTube content creators out there when it comes to talking about the game of basketball and these incoming prospects coming in that will eventually change the league for the better as we move on to a new genre and age of basketball. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. and I appreciate that endorsement. You can, you guys can find me on YouTube, Hoop Intellect, on Twitter, at Hoop Intellect with three L's. Um, Hoop Intellect just with regular two L's everywhere else. Um, and yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. No problem. And with that, I'll see you guys next week. Um, you guys have a great day.